Welcome to Risk Roundup. Of all the technology trends that are taking place right now, the rapid and unplanned growth of Internet of Things, in short referred to as IoT, brings complex challenges for which perhaps no individual or entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, are prepared for. When physical objects in geospace and space become embedded with sensors and gain the ability to communicate through cyberspace, that is the internet, the new information and communication networks fundamentally changes the way each NGIOA operates and does things in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short referred to as CGS. While the internet of things has great promise, the technical, non-technical, and security challenges must be tackled before the IoT, that is Internet of Things, or IOE, that is Internet of Everything, systems are widely embraced. So how to move forward? What will bring security, scalability, stability, and integrity to the IoT, IOE ecosystem? There is a growing consensus that it is blockchain. To discuss this imminent IoT blockchain convergence further, I'm honored to welcome Dr. John Cohn to Risk Roundup. Dr. John is an IBM fellow in IBM's Watson IoT division and is based in the United States. Welcome, Dr. John. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Oh, Jayshree, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm very interested in the, the combination of topics that you bring into this session, into these uh, series. So I'm really honored to be invited. Wonderful, John. So in the coming years, from Internet of Things to Internet of Nano Things and Internet of Everything, there will be billions of connected things across nations. As the IOE ecosystem takes shape, what is possible with the current technology infrastructure we have in place across nations in cyberspace, geospace, and space? Uh, you know, it's what's wonderful about a technology like this is it's it's so plastic, it can be anything. I mean, IoT is everything from, you know, small gadgets that you might have in your house, uh, like a, 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 an, a voice assistant, all the way up to something like a train or a nuclear power plant. So internet of, as you call it, internet of everything, we call it internet of things, is that the, it's almost limitless uh, what it can do. I was very interested in your introduction I think you're exactly right. We have to do this with, with utmost care to make sure that in, in getting the advantages of Internet of Things, we also preserve people's privacy, their security, et cetera. Um, so I, I think it, it would be very hard to describe what the limits are. What, what's wonderful about, uh, you know, if you look at the explosive growth in Internet of Things and you look at the, uh, like the startup community, Indiegogo, uh, Kickstarter, et cetera, what's, it, it's wonderful to see how new things are coming out that no one would have imagined that we needed and now we can't live without. So I, I, I would not want to be the person who would say, here's the bounds of this. That's the wonderful thing about it. That is very true. That is the wonderful thing about it. And with the number of Internet of Things devices getting connected to the Internet grows exponentially. Entities of all sizes across NGIO, that means nations, government, industries, organizations, academia, are recognizing the potential of IoT to improve their processes within and across their entities' boundaries. And each new opportunity brings different technology from both the public as well as private infrastructure with its own compatibility issues, varying standards, strengths, and weaknesses. What challenges do you see because of these varying technology standards, guidelines, and compatibility issues? Oh, that's a big question as well. Um, I think one of the things that you, you call out very correctly is, is standardization. Um, there, are, uh, there are so many standards and substandards and de facto standards in, in IoT. One of the things that I love, I, I've been working in Internet of Things long before it was called that. I'm a hobbyist. I like making things that, uh, that connect, to the, uh, you know, connect to each other and, and, and now to what we call the cloud. Um, but uh, what it, it, there is no single standard that binds them all. So one of the great things is it's a bit of a Tower of Babel. How do you actually figure out how to connect these things in a way that's uh, uh, easy and meaningful and uh, privacy preserving, et cetera? So I, I really like the, uh, the, the 
just the particular challenges of working uh, just to get things connected. Uh, that's compounded by the fact that you have on one dimension, you have different industries have different standards. So, you know, buildings or, or automotive or aerospace all have different uh, uh, data standards. And then you, uh, in another dimension, you have international standards. You know, for example, uh, you mentioned that I, I do work in the United States, but I work half time also in our, our Munich headquarters. Uh, Watson IoT is, is IBM's only uh, uh, corporate headquarters outside of the United States. And there, you know, the privacy laws of Germany are very different than the privacy laws in the United States or the privacy laws of France. And, and trying to, you know, if you take the power set of the, the standards uh, in terms of the communication, the, the, you know, the, just the functional and plumbing standards, uh, and you multiply those times the sort of uh, regulatory standards, it becomes a very, very interesting matrix of, of things to take care of. Uh, so I, I believe that one of the, the things that's lacking, kind of moving towards why Internet of Things and blockchain actually might coexist, is some sort of a lingua franca, as you might say, you know, to, to allow things to, to safely and uh, securely and privately be able to communicate among each other. It's not a magic wand, though. I mean, I, I think that uh, there's a great, um, uh, one of my favorite cartoons is something, uh, if, you, if you read XKCD, which is a wonderful uh, 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 sort of technical cartoon, um, they, they, there's my favorite is one on standards that says, you know, why are there 15 standards in one area? Because at 14, someone said, ah, I'll make a standard that brings them all together. And that's why we have 15 standards. You have to be very careful. I don't think that there's a, an easy answer to that standardization. I think that anything that is actually going to help pull these things together is going to have to have such a uh, compelling value that everyone wants to move in the same direction. Yes, and that is going to be itself a very complex challenge. Now, yeah. IoT systems will be intelligent and be responsible for performing so many different sensitive functions or actions, like it could be monitoring weather or it could be monitoring some viruses or bacteria, some kind of you know pathogens uh, in the form of IoT sensors. Now, automation of this level can also bring many process complexities and challenges. Would the current IoT infrastructure be able to have this level of compatibility for the complex process auto automation? Do you think that uh, industry is ready right now? I do think that certain industries are more mature in this than others. And so I think that there's a couple of, uh, you know, some industries like uh, transport and uh, power generation are, have been highly automated for years. I spent 30 years in the semiconductor industry and, and uh, what we now call Internet of Things was kind of our standard business. Our factories were highly automated and, and uh, uh, managed robotically, et cetera, because of the precision necessary. So I think it really is a maturity issue. Um, you, there's several, several issues that you brought into that that I think are worth bringing up. I mean, there's a maturity issue in terms of how accepting and, and ready to adopt automation an, an industry might be and the people in the industry. I think there's another aspect of how self-contained a particular component of an industry is. So, for example, if you're all within the bounds of a factory, say a semiconductor factory, I think it is manageable with current technology to be able to automate those, uh, those processes um, robustly and securely. Uh, what happens is that when you start crossing domains, when you start crossing company boundaries, when you start crossing international boundaries, uh, that's where things start to become a little bit more complex. And there, I think that there's some very good guidelines. You know, if you, you take uh, the very complicated idea of, say, autonomous driving, you know, cars that drive themselves, um, I think we have to progress in a certain way, is first you add automation, which detects a problem, then you had add automation that helps a, a you know a human operator in that case a driver or it might be a machine operator avoid a problem, and then you can get to the point of suggesting a, a next step, and then eventually you could become you know fully automated. So I think the progression has always been that you you have a, a human hand in the in the the critical uh, um, processes until you've gotten quite confident that the that the the automation is actually at least as good as the person. 
And I think if you do that progression, and this is our, uh, you know, in, in my company and IBM, we're very, uh, we, we talk about cognitive IoT. And one of the things that, that, that we talk about is, you know, making it human centric and helping people along that evolution. And I think if you take that evolution carefully and allow for the, uh, the, the maturation of the automation, I think any industry can actually get there. And ultimately, you know, whether it's driving a car, driving a ship, driving a plane, uh, you know, performing surgery, ultimately, almost anything I think will lend itself to automation with the amount, with the right amount of learning. And what I, what I personally think, is, we'll probably get to this point, but in, in this conversation, I, I think that we need to be able to think ahead to what the potential, um, you know, public good that can come out of that but also keep a mind to the, the dangers of doing it too fast. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We have to balance the risk and rewards both. Exactly. Now, the concept of Internet of Everything, in which objects or animals or people are provided with a unique identifiers and the ability to transfer data over a network that is open Internet without requiring human-to-human -human or human-to-computer interaction, is going to require many new technological capabilities. What new technologies do you think that are essential, absolutely essential, you know, today? Ah, did I lose you? Oh, were you able to hear my question? I, I, I lost the last part, excuse me. What I was saying is that the concept of Internet of Everything in which objects, animals, or people are provided with unique identifiers and the ability to transfer that data over a network in cyberspace or internet without requiring human-to-human -human or human-to-computer interaction is going to require many new technological capabilities. What new technologies would be necessary today for us to go forward towards IOE? So I think again that that question you know really varies by industry and you know has this this complexity that I talked about by you know industries and by uh, uh, national regulations etc. I think there are a couple of technologies that need to be um, evolved. I think for one. I think we need to have more uniform ways. Uh, you mentioned about having a unique identity. I think being able to talk about the identity of a thing, just like we talk about an identity of a person, is going to be an increasingly important thing. We're going to be able to, you know, when you're talking about an object um, like a, an automobile, uh, you know, there's a VIN number. When you talk about a surgical instrument, you know, what's the equivalent? When you talk about you know livestock, what's the equivalent? So we need to be able to have more standard ways of actually managing uh, defensible identity. So something that says you know I really am you know I have that box car, I have that palette, I have that surgical instrument, I have this particular pill or something like that, and I should be able to use some sort of more uniform, unified way of, of verifying the identity of those things, making sure it's unique and making sure it's original. So I think that notion of identity and provenance management is going to be really important. Yes. I think being able to uh, uh, discover what the the attributes of any one of those things are. So if I'm you know coming into a complex uh, system, a building, an automobile, uh, a factory, I would want to be able to have you know, I think that identity, that notion of identity that links to a certain type of something is going to be an underpinning. But I then would need the semantics to be able to understand, you know, uh, that ID corresponds to this type of device made by this manufacturer. I need then to be able to discover what its attributes are. It's a pump. It has inputs and outputs. It's a medicine. It has this uh, 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 manufacture date and this shelf life. So being able to manage all of that metadata, we're going to need more standardized ways of doing that. And then I think finally we're going to need ways of being able to uh, track these things through their entire lifetime and their interactions with other with other people and with other devices. So some sort of way that allows you to 
securely and privately be able to uh, engage these devices, accomplish some task, make sure that it's accomplished and record it. Many, you know, I, I think that's why technologies like blockchain, and certainly blockchain is not the only technology like that, but technologies like blockchain are, are very interesting. So I think it's really um, a layer, starting from strong identity, you know, that's defensible identity, uh, having some semantics around that, and then having some way of exchanging, uh, using those semantics and using those ID to transact business, to transact commerce, to manage uh, lifetime, to manage ownership, manage uh, 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 proper function and process around them. All three of those things add up to uh, something that will be very necessary in almost any industry in my mind. Yes, very true, very true. Now, uh, the real value for Internet of Things or Internet of Nano Things or everything is at the intersection of perhaps collecting data and making some sense of it in real time. All this information gathered by all the sensors in the world isn't worth very much if there isn't an infrastructure in place to analyze the data in real time. What is the state of IOE infrastructure across nations where real-time data analytics is a possibility or is a you know reality today? Well, I think that again it varies by industry and it varies by where you are. But I think there are many like IBM's uh, uh, our Watson IoT platform is very highly scalable and is able to bring in lots of different types of data. There are many other. Uh, industrial platforms that allow you to pull in all all of uh, all different kinds of data. I think what really comes into is you know what's the appropriate uh, combination of, of of how much you do back on the cloud, how much you do locally, how much you do you know at, at some intermediate point like uh, at some edge device. And so I think we're um, my own personal view is that the infrastructure is scaling at the at the levels that it needs to be able to handle. Uh, the large amounts of data. I, I think that there's a lot of talk about, you know, oh, the data is coming in so fast, we don't know what to do with it, et cetera. And while that, you know, there certainly is a, an awful lot of data in IoT, I, I don't think it's so much an issue of being able to, you know, input it all. I think as you correctly point out, it's a matter of being able to, you know, gain insights on it in a, in a meaningful time. I mean, it turns out that, you know, lot, lots of IoT data uh, is, is, is only useful if you can act on it within a, a few hundred milliseconds or maybe even less because uh, you know other than maybe for forensics or learning kind of uh, uh, tasks you know the the old data is not as interesting as as you might think you know it really is a matter of being able to pull in data come up with some sort of local history and being able to act on it build an insight right away and change an outcome so i think it really comes down to uh you know, how do you move that, how do you develop those kind of uh, uh, analytics and put them at the appropriate place in the system, whether it needs to be, uh, you know, it might even need to be in the actual device that's taking the data. It might have to be in, a, in an edge device that's somewhere intermediate between that and the cloud, or many things can actually be done in the cloud. And, and whoever I think articulates that, you know, and, and has the most fluidity of being able to move processing uh, anywhere from the, the the cloud all the way down to the device and be able to do that seamlessly, I think we'll we'll have a, a great competitive advantage. So I, I think um, you know I I think it's it's uh, it's really a challenge of putting the right computation at the right place in the system. Yes, yes. So it seems now the centralized model of IoT. It seems it's facing complex challenges as the number of network nodes are you know growing into the millions and gener it generates like billions of transactions so this will not only exponentially increase computational requirements making this a very very expensive costly initiative but it's also going to face scalability storage issues and you know many uh, other issues uh, which are the which uh, the growing needs of the huge iot ecosystem of tomorrow will bring so do you think that the centralized model of iot can work any longer i mean we can have small small private centralized networks but if we are trying to create global ecosystem of iot ioe networks then probably the centralized uh, model is uh, not the way to go right i think just as i was saying jayshree as i think that um there are certain there are many models where a, a simple cloud uh, centralized model works just fine you know where if the data rates uh are are 
and data volumes are such, there are many things that, you know, is my, uh, my vending machine, you know, appropriately full? Um, you know, does my gas, uh, my uh, gas meter uh, tell me that I need to go refill the, the, the local gas? Those kind of things are actually data rates um, that are quite manageable. But as you correctly point out, things like, uh, you know, autonomous driving or, um, uh, weather, uh, you know, weather detection, some of those things require you to move calculations uh, through, the, through the system and decentralize them somewhat. Uh, my own personal view, you know, I think that if you, if you kind of look at the, um, it's a continuum, right? So if you look at uh, one model where you have a completely centralized uh, idea where you're taking data from all sorts of uh, endpoints, bringing them back to the cloud, doing some analysis, and then perhaps influencing uh, to the edge, there, uh, that's sort of the early stages of the Internet of Things. Many systems, you know, respond to that well. If you look at the other end of that continuum is you have simple peer-to-peer -peer models where everything is decentralized. And I think that there are examples where that might work very well. Um, I personally believe that the, the right answer is, is a hybrid where you actually have edge devices, you have cloud, you have some intermediate devices. And some of those things actually, some of the calculations happens in intermediate uh, world. And some things actually might even happen peer-to-peer -peer without the arbitration of the cloud. But ultimately, some things are actually better done in the cloud. Um, let's take something like, um, if I may, let me, let me just speculate on, a, on, a, on a, a usage model that I think would be interesting. Something like um, uh, video surveillance, something like that. Let's say you've got a, a plant and you're trying to just uh, manage the physical security, okay? It turns out that you know putting all of that video material. Currently, it's it's possible to take all the video information from a bunch of cameras, bring them back to the cloud, and analyze them. But it's not it's not necessarily efficient from a bandwidth standpoint. It's not efficient necessarily from a, a storage standpoint. And uh, from a privacy standpoint, you know, being able to you know shipping pictures back of you know everyone entering and leaving the building. Uh, there are certain places where, from a regulatory standpoint, that wouldn't be acceptable. But you can imagine a system, and we, you know, we're doing uh, uh, interesting internal work on this. As you can imagine, a system where those cameras actually go to some sort of local uh, processing in, that might be in the building, so that all of that might be recorded on some sort of secure storage. But the data itself never gets transmitted back to the cloud uh, up front. You know. What, what instead, it's, it's processed locally, it's done, recognition is done, metadata is extracted, uh, certain rules checking in terms of conditions, you know, who can come in, who can't, you know, can't come in, uh, times of operation, uh, uh, it, uh, uh, status of various other things, door locks, et cetera, are recorded. And then that information might be, maybe just the metadata is shipped back to the cloud so that if someone is actually looking for some sort of a, a pattern or alert, you know, that can actually happen on the cloud where it can be more uh, spread more broadly. Um, similarly, if you had a, a large database of say employees pictures of, you know, who was it, who was allowed to be in a certain part of a building, um, doing that kind of training, you know, from a machine learning standpoint, doing that at the edge is very, very complicated. You know, you don't really have the horsepower. So being able to do the training back in the cloud and then take those models and put them back at the edge so that they can recognize, you know, who comes in the building, et cetera. That makes a world of sense. It's especially interesting if I can make those updates kind of more fluidly. So if I can, you know, just add people back from, you know, a, a corporate database so that if I am traveling between, you know, my my facility here in Vermont and I, and, and then visiting a, a, a colleague in, in Munich, that, that the fact that I am allowed in the building because of my, you know, uh, because it recognizes me would be spread across the enterprise. So I think, again, you know, it, it, the idea is not to over-centralize. So I think there's a huge amount of innovation possible and a huge amount of innovation happening in these kind of hybrid decentralized models. Yes, absolutely. And I think you made a very interesting point that uh, we need hybrid models, depending on what initiative or what task we want to do with these IoT networks. For example, if we want to create a risk management ecosystem using the IoT, using the blockchain-based you know, cybersecurity risk management system, then we want to give an, nations an ability 
to have the both public as well as private because there will need to be so much integration here the enterprises uh, you know of all the corporations will be involved the government entities will be involved uh, ngos will be involved academia will be involved and individuals will be involved so there will be a need for a public uh, blockchain based cyber security uh, network but there will also be need for a private one because the independent risk there are two kinds of risk independent risk that any entity faces and that they can manage on their own that should you know be on a private uh, network and uh, we need to make sure that uh, there is they are secured and there is privacy for them so that you know that the, their work or the, what they are doing is not compromised but if that independent risk if it is not managed effectively and if it you know crosses their corporate boundaries then other people have a right to know so then you know that private uh, I, iot model would not work there then we would need to go towards the uh, public model where you know we want to make sure that it is uh, flagged properly and you know appropriate authorities are informed that this is going to this particular risk is you know going to trans uh, go beyond the corporate boundaries and then there is compliance issues there is insurance there are a lot of entities would need to be involved so yes it has to be a hybrid model because you know and again it depends on the initiative some of them would be centralized some of them would not be centralized it would be peer to peer network and there are a lot of you know different variables we'll have to consider and we are already seeing iot initiatives emerging across nations across ngio but there are security challenges uh, to the current iot ecosystem and while the decentralized model would solve the cost issues associated with the iot ecosystem cost and other issues it still has very complex security challenges that we need to overcome do you have confidence that we can uh, the security will be managed effectively in either respective centralized or decentralized iot model well you know i think you bring up what i think uh, one of the central things we want to discuss around blockchain and why would that uh, you know why would the word blockchain and IoT appear in the same sentence? So let's get to that in a moment. I think it really depends. You know, if you have, going back to my example of a, a semiconductor uh, facility, I think if you have one owner and, you know, a, a known set of small suppliers that are all, say, physically co-located in a building, um, again, maybe this is orthogonal. I think the idea of being able to do centralized versus decentralized um, you know, that I think from a security and privacy standpoint, if you have only kind of one tenant and, and uh, you know, that tenant owns all of the, the infrastructure and that the, there's only one player in that system um, and you choose to, whether you choose to centralize it or decentralize it, I do think you can, with proper measures, you could build a, a secure and private network. I mean, I would put a, a large um, qualifier on that is, you know, I think anybody who believes that security is a solvable, you know, a priori solvable problem shouldn't be in charge of your security, right? I mean, IoT presents a lot of really interesting security issues, even in that sort of closed environment that I just mentioned, where everything is owned and everything is in one, say, building or facility. Um, but, you know, even there, you have to be very careful because things like, uh, you know, Heartbleed or something like that, or alert, there's many of those uh, security uh, possible uh, uh, potential breaches available out there. And, uh, you know, the, the ability for the world to find the chinks in your armor is, is, is infinite given enough time, right? So you need to be able to be, you need to take what we've learned in IT security and then take the special considerations of IoT, the fact that you don't have a well-defined perimeter anymore, the fact that many of the devices, these embedded devices, are not updatable in an easy way. You have to, you know, not at least over the air, you, you, you have to get physical access to them. Um, that the bad guy can get the physical access, you know, with a pair of pliers or, a, you know, an oscilloscope or whatever else that they need. So there are many, many security problems, but that said, I think that within the bounds of a, a closed system, you taking proper uh, precautions, uh, being vigilant, and and being able to take appropriate countermeasures, uh, you know, firewalls, etc. I believe that we would be able to reach the same kind of uneasy uh, sense of security that we have with 
uh, computers right now. You're staying one step ahead of the bad guy. Bad things happen. Then you can correct them. So I'm I'm not at all. Um, I'm very much. A, how, how would I say this? I was a security hobbyist as a kid, and so I would never say any system is unbreakable. But I think in a contained environment, I think it's a manageable system as long as you're appropriately worried. Now, where your, your question went, which I think was really interesting, is what happens when there's multiple parties, when it isn't all under one roof? Uh, take some of the things that we're doing with like supply chain or international trade, where there are many parties, many players, many manufacturers, there are uh, uh, the business uh, objectives of all of those players don't necessarily line up. So you don't necessarily have implicit trust between those things. Not that anybody is, is a bad guy necessarily or a bad person, but you know that the business interest of say an insurer and a shipper are by their very nature not necessarily aligned, right? If you think about it. Um, but that said, there are you know bad agents out there. You know whether they're they're individuals, they're organized crime, they're they're state governments. You know trying to 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 somehow do something to the system. It that open kind of an ecosystem, whether it's supply chains, trade, the mails, um, uh, uh, gray market manufacture, all of those things become really really difficult. And the reason that I think that IoT and blockchain do belong in the same sentence is those kind of conditions. So how do you actually, so I think you brought up earlier in the conversation, you know, how does the, the basic plumbing of getting two things, you know, in different, you know, different uh, industries to talk to each other. While that's complicated, I think that's quite manageable. You know, you say, oh, well, you know, this is a CAN bus and this is a BACnet bus and somehow we'll be able to, you know, figure it out. Um, that's much more manageable than these multi-party kind of uh, uh, non-trustworthy situations. And that's where I think Internet, Internet of Things and blockchain actually have some very interesting intersection. How do you envision the blockchain IoT convergence model? Like you said, I mean, yes, it is not going to be an easy uh, development to go towards that because when we have more than one party involved, and especially like when we are trying to manage security risk, even let's say just talking about cybersecurity risk, it, it, it that public private partnership, uh, NIST has uh, issued this, you know, guidelines for the critical infrastructure security. But if you look at it, I mean, is it really possible? I mean, just by pro issuing guidelines, are we able, going to be able to uh, manage the security risk of you know any critical infrastructure? I I, I think it's a huge uh, misguided approach if you think that by do, going that path that we will be able to achieve security. I think we need to come up with very structured security model that is based on blockchain that is accountable that makes you know everyone accountable. We well, are putting together the white paper for that, and in coming weeks we'll be issuing that white paper that will, you know, talk about blockchain-based uh, cybersecurity risk management framework. So it is, a, as you suggested, it's a very complex it, because when you have to make sure that everyone manages the risk effectively, that particular, you know initiative itself is going to be so complex but if we are able to do that that you know everyone has to manage their risk effectively and we make everyone accountable for managing the risk if we are able to do that then you know i think uh, we can build so many more things on this blockchain uh, iot convergence model that we are talking about yeah i think um yeah I, I like quite a few of the things that you said i think you know i i don't think that there's any magic wand to fix this problem of you know trustworthiness, security, privacy. That said, I think there are a couple of things that that you need, and blockchain helps with some of them, not all of them. But I think the idea of transparency is always a good thing. So, in other words, if I'm able to, uh, you know, if everyone is able to see the workings of some interaction then it's much harder to do something untoward, to do something wrong, if other people are, are able to watch. If, the, if there's a record of everything that's done and that record is indelible, so you really can't change the, the history, 
so that many people can invest, you know, if there's ever a, a dispute, if there's ever a need for forensics, that there's no debate on what actually happened, you have to be a little careful, you know, whatever was recorded versus, you know, the, the, the question becomes how close to the actual event, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, um, you know, can you actually record, but the notion of having that, that, that sort of single idea of truth is, is very, very important and adds a lot to trust. I think it's, it doesn't solve every problem because things like transparency and privacy are somewhat in opposition. So you have to take some measures to make sure that in, in granting transparency, you don't allow uh, the wrong person to be able to understand what you're doing, whether it's your competitor or a, you know, or a bad guy trying to figure out, you know, what your business is. Um, I think all of these things have some, some technological solutions, but some of them also have, you know, regulatory oversight and, and, uh, you know, governmental, uh, you know, and observation, you know, there's, there's certain things that there's just no super easy answer, but I do think that blockchain does, does provide a really good framework for providing transparency and auditability. And I think those are really, really important first steps in being able to generate, uh, if you don't have implicit trust between parties, being able to allow people to, to get into a trusted relationship and create sort of a, a, a business relationship, a contract between them. Now, what you asked about is, you know, how does IoT and blockchain actually interact? I mean, at the very, very simplest level, and I, you know, I've thought about this a lot and we've done all sorts of experimentation. As a matter of fact, over there on my table is actually some IoT stuff that's actually working on the blockchain. That's what I was doing before you called. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the simple thing there is to allow physical objects to actually participate in, in, in what we call smart contracts, the ability on a, uh, you know, to have a transaction on a blockchain and have just like a person can enter into a contract, I can, I can allow an, I, uh, you know, a physical item, like when I have, uh, when I uh, have possession of this train car, then I will, and it's in the proper condition. The temperature hasn't been above this, it hasn't had an impact over that, and it hasn't been opened, then I will release the payment. Something like that, something as simple, a basic uh, sort of a contractual kind of thing to allow a physical object to participate in that is I think an incredibly enabling uh, process. And by taking the sort of potential for human error or human misbehavior out of that equation, you can generate a lot more trustworthy uh, lot, uh, and, and higher levels of automation, higher levels of trustworthiness, and certainly higher levels of transparency and auditability. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, if you think of the possibilities, the creative content industry, all the artists and musicians and writers, they will be able to make sure that, you know, their creative content is not taken away by someone, you know, and they are not being fooled. So they will be able to, uh, whoever, you know, the photographers and even that they have the pictures, they went, once they put it on blockchain, that their ownership account is, you know, going to remain no matter how many, you know, hands it changes, where it goes, you know, across nations' boundaries, they will re retain their ownership. So it, it provides, you know, great, great potential. And this convergence of IoT blockchain is probably one of the transformational trends that is going to shape the future of, you know, NGIO, that means all nations, government industries, organizations, and academia. And the opportunities are so many that for entities across NGIO, they can redesign and redefine so many systems at all levels, local, national, uh, global, to improve the quality, productivity, transparency, and trust while reducing, you know, cost, risk, and, you know, uh, possibility of thefts, theft. So this is, this will not be possible to, uh, but one fact remains that this is not going to be possible, even if we define all those things, redesign, redefine, that none of these efforts or initiatives would be possible or successful without effective collaborations 
collaboration and cooperation is going to be the key if we are going to go towards uh, redefining or recreating the systems at the levels that we would like to uh, recreate or redefine because to make sure that we are going towards a digital global age that is truly integrated truly successful that can take the step towards the space age in the coming you know years but those collaborations see nations are so even the industries are so used to working in silo and this approach this you know technological convergence it requires so many collaborations collaborations are the fundamental thing here so from your perspective what is the state of collaboration that you see is necessary for the iot ecosystem to work effectively for no matter which initiative you know we want to go uh, forward with well um i'll start with iot yeah. and then i'll talk about iot and blockchain but i think you know iot is is really based a lot on open collaboration I, you know kind of for the some of the issues that you mentioned before about you know since no one company manufactures all of the things and no one cloud manages all the things the ability to be able to work across uh across all of those boundaries some of that is you know just on agreeing on standards but one of the best ways to actually drive those standards is to be able to you know collaborate openly and um you know one of the things that we've worked on in IBM very hard is that we've put several of the things that we've we've uh, worked out like uh, the MQTT uh transport you know we've decided well we're, it's better off as an open standard that helps our business and it helps you know helps others collaborate in terms of communicating and and consequently a lot of people are finding that useful we've created the code as open source uh we have uh systems for manipulating uh, real time data like node red uh, was a, a system that we put out as open source i believe that that ability to collaborate not only uh, makes it easier for things to talk together but you know the the ability for uh you know open collaboration and innovation you know far surpasses something that any one company can do so i'm a big believer in that on the, when you start bringing in blockchain i mean one of the things that's really wonderful about the blockchain the entire blockchain revolution you know with all uh uh you know it, if you think about where it started with bitcoin with all the kind of shady aspects of bitcoin you know there was some brilliant math mathematicians in there and they were all donating their time to actually to this to this work and if you look at uh at, at all of the major blockchain fabrics like ethereum um uh hyperledger which is the one that we uh that we're helping develop all of those have a very strong open component i mean for example the the enterprise uh, uh what we do in with hyperledger is what we call a, a permission chain so it's a it's designed specifically for enterprise but the the infrastructure the ecosystem itself has to be able to use that code to be able to do whatever with it that that they want i mean i really believe that if if that you can't be beholden to any one party whether it's a government whether it's a company even my company you know if everyone is beholden to to one one party I, you really don't have the possibility for that trust and and transparency so i think the notion of openness and the ability to uh, you know to share the, the the code base and have everyone have a joint ownership and joint responsibility for it is intrinsic to the value of these things but it also it pays back such incredible dividends because by having everyone have the same interest on the same code base and being able to innovate on it that both in the in the actual fabric itself and the application space you you know again you would never ever be able to achieve that with any one company no matter how great a company it is so i think that that innovation is not i mean openness and and collaboration is not only enabled by these technologies by iot and and blockchain it's it's essential to their success yes it is it is very very much central to the success now what challenges do you foresee i mean other than collaboration and cooperation what challenges you foresee for the ongoing blockchain iot convergence well I think we're at the very early stages of this. I've been actually been working in this area with my colleagues here since 2013 and at that time a lot of people in corporate America actually hated blockchain. Now oops. Did I lose you? Okay. No, I'm sorry. I see you. Um uh 
as I was saying that, you know, b back in 2013, you know, blockchain was kind of a dirty word in, in, in you know, in enterprise because it had kind of a, uh, a sketchy past. Uh, now, you know, everyone loves it so much. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, I, I found it sometimes a little bit easier when people were more skeptical. As much as I love it, I want people to progress, you know, carefully. Some of the challenges that we need to do is we need to be able to make sure that it's scalable, for example. You know, how uh, some of the, if you think about the billions and billions of things that we're talking about with Internet of Things, um, that is quite a bit larger than any blockchain. You know, if, if you were really putting, um, no, no one is talking about putting the, 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 the minute uh, data, data facts, you know, what's the temperature in this room? Uh, on the blockchain. But, you know, as you're trying to put, you know, I mentioned this device. Let me see if I can grab it without disturbing, without ripping some wires off of it. So this device, for example, is a, as a location tracker. We're, we're working with um, several uh, companies like um, Kino in, in Finland and uh, Maersk and other companies. If you actually look, IBM is actually collaborating on trade. Uh, this is a device that whenever it's bumped, it, it takes the GPS location and, and puts it on our Hyperledger blockchain. Um, you know, we know that for the exercises that we're doing that we'll be able to scale. But if you think about down the road where I think the rest of the world will start to see how powerful this is, we're going to have to make sure that we keep up with the scale in terms of the, uh, the, the number of devices and the frequency of the update. So I think that's an interesting problem. I think another problem is is around you know the 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 sort of duality that the sort of um, somewhat opposition that transparency and privacy. So we're working very hard to make sure that even though you have transparency, certain amounts of the data will remain private for those who you know only to be shared among people who are contractually in agreement. Yes, I think that's a that's a, a an important thing. I think the scaling of the um, the consistency management, whether you're using, you know, uh, uh, proof of work, proof of stake, uh, various other kinds of th those systems will have to be uh, uh, evolved to, to, to be able to maintain scalability as well. Um, what other challenges do I see? I mean, those are enough. Those are big challenges. I think the other thing is complexity. Um, blockchain is uh, it's incredibly cool to see a technology come from, you know, almost nowhere, you know, from from the uh, obscure mathematics to, to something that is so, so center stage. Um, but it is very complicated. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to people about it, and I know that there are parts of it that I don't understand. And I have a lot of people explaining it to me who don't understand it as well as I do. I think we need to progress carefully, especially for systems that are going to be scaled out that long and have to, you know, the, the data on them has to, you know, persist for basically forever. I think the the notion of, of having, you know, getting our heads around what does forever mean and you know, how do you how do you keep a record? You know, how long can you keep records? All of that stuff has to be managed very, very carefully. And we're at just the infancy of that. So I think proceeding somewhat, you know, the word cautiously and blockchain also don't really coexist very well. But I think we need to be a little bit we need to do a lot of experimentation and, and scale carefully, but I have no doubt that it's going to make a huge impact in the world. Of course, of course, absolutely. So what are some major blockchain IoT convergence projects that are underway currently? Well, um, we're doing, I mentioned, uh, uh, we're working with a, a Finnish uh, uh, trade consortium called Kino in Kovalo, Switzerland, uh, in Kovalo Finland. And that's actually been very interesting. We're, we're doing some exper uh, EU-funded experimentation on how you would track a multimodal uh, trade shipments. Uh, we just announced uh, some work. Well, from an IoT standpoint, purely, um, we're all, I should be careful about mentioning any names of companies, um, but we're looking at, at supply chain. You know, how do you actually detect you know, high value uh, uh, goods as they go through a supply chain? How do you know that, uh, that uh, they haven't been altered or replaced? You know, there's a huge problem with gray market uh, goods in the world. Uh, things like food, you know, in the uh, one of the most important supply chains that we all deal with is 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 the food that we eat. How do we know that the 
you know, the fruits, vegetables, meats that we eat were actually, you know, raised and, and handled in the right way, et cetera. You know, how do we know that when there is an outbreak of some sort of a problem, a foodborne illness or something, that we can actually track back the provenance and, 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 and sort of precisely identify and remove the, the, the source of the problem? Uh, how can we make sure that, uh, that the, uh, the, the devices that we're using, the airplanes, the cars, et cetera, that the parts from them were genuine and were manufactured under the right uh, uh, conditions and that the, the, the ensemble, the device itself was actually maintained correctly. I think those are, those are all projects. I, the ones that I just mentioned are all ones that we're actually experimenting with and uh, some that are actually moving on to uh, early business. Um, I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting time where a lot of people are sort of kicking the tires. A lot of people see the, uh, the value here, um, but I think we're at a tipping point. We're starting to see uh, particularly, uh, here's the pattern, Jayshree, that I see is that people are looking at these multi-party problems that I mentioned, you know, where you have business interests that don't necessarily line up. Uh, we're seeing uh, lots of conditions, where, cases where somebody is taking something like a supply chain that's managed by you know multiple parties etc and has many handoffs and they're starting by using the blockchain to uh, automate what would have been a, a you know a paper exercise many of these things are handled by you know paper documents or text messages or something like that uh, and and automating that using um blockchain using things like hyperledger um to uh uh to um you know, get better uh, transparency uh, and uh, better efficiency. What happens then, I think, is that as you you look at, uh, say, shipping. So if you're if you're still at the very end of at the bottom of that stack, you're still sort of manually inputting the uh, the input uh, from a you know I, that pallet or that truck or that cow or that mango. Uh, you have to be, um, you know, that last step where a human is involved is potentially a, a, a possibility for introducing error or introducing fraud. So the idea of being able to take that last, what I call the last meter, the actual, you know, going down to the, you know, the ear tag on the cow or the, uh, you know, the, the barcode and the sensors and the, and the, and the actual uh, shipping container and having that automatically participate in the, uh, in the blockchain, uh, like, this thing um, is is gives you that additional security and additional business efficiency uh, that you know taking you know removing the 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 potential for well uh, you know human work human error or or human malfeasance you know yes. bad you know uh, uh, taking taking those out I think is the next logical step on some of these exercises yes. we'll yes. be seeing those. Um, we're working on some of them. I'm just not at liberty to talk about them. Sure, absolutely. Oh, I understand that. So this Internet of Things, Internet of uh, Nano Things, Internet of Everything to Industrial Internet of Things, and all the smart devices, it, we, are, we are prepared, it seems, to revolutionize not only the user-machine interaction, but also the way in which machines engage with one another in cyberspace, geospace, and space. And nations are already beginning to see the permeation of this Internet of Things across all of its components. That means government industries, organizations, and academia. And if nations can achieve the full potential of the IoT, uh, IIoT, IOE vision, not only individual humans, but each entity across NGI will have countless value creation opportunities. However, all this is possible if we are able to manage the critical security risk of not only today, but also strategic security risk that come with the innovation opportunities, not only just the technical challenges, but the uh, strategic security challenges. Because as we create, as we redefine, redesign new systems, what happens to the current systems? How effectively are we able to manage the changes that comes with it? Because nations, are, so far we have seen, they're not good at managing uh, such kind of huge change management. We, we come up with some amazing technologies, but a lot of technologies, even though they have great potential, the technology doesn't succeed. And that is because of all the security risks that you know surrounds that, all the change management, risk management issues that surrounds it. Because 
everywhere the human component is involved and if we are creating systems right now there is only blockchain iot convergence tomorrow we'll have blockchain iot and artificial intelligence convergence mm. we uh, the technological convergence is just the beginning and as the technological convergence proceeds we are going to face so many you know critical security risk that will impact the human component and i'm just not sure how good nations are with the current yeah. governance model management model the leaderships across india how good are they or how prepared are they to manage this convergence risk what what are your thoughts on that well it's very interesting i mean um i i certainly agree with the fact that governments are not necessarily the the right place to lead this um watching my words here uh the way i think about this is you know um you know you're a risk management person i think that selling security is like selling insurance and while i love people who do security and i love people who do insurance it's really hard to get people to move to reduce risk i mean you know this uh you know it can be it, risk is is everywhere and and mitigating risk is really important um, trying to get someone to spend a lot of money and a lot of effort and actually to take on risk to avoid risk is complicated. But what I do find is that people do respond to, you know, on, on the positive side. So in other words, if I, if I were just saying, look, you know, this technology would reduce the impact of, uh, you know, a, a, a security breach or a privacy breach, you know, so you should spend a lot of money and a lot of time, you know, it would be tough. The reason that I'm very optimistic, uh, cautiously optimistic, I think the blockchain stuff, because of the issues of complexity and scaling that we have to handle carefully, um, why well, I, I think it, we need to grow it in a, you know, in a somewhat cautious way. The reason I'm confident that it will grow is that it is not at all just about mitigating risk. There is enough business business advantage. So it's much easier to sell something that improves something in your business than avoids a problem, if you understand what I mean, right? So, you know, yes, it is true that the blockchain stuff, you know, especially when you add IoT can actually mitigate risk and, you know, and, and gets transparency, gets auditability, gets, you know, immutability, all, all of that stuff. But that's good. That prevents bad things from happening or allows you to figure out what happened when something bad does happen. But the real benefit is that you get this transparency and the uh, business automation that comes from, for example, smart contracts, give you such efficiency that the business advantage, the private sector is going to find this very, very enabling. And when the private sector is happy, the governments generally get happy. Take it this way: is that if I can remove, say, fifteen percent of the overhead that was, you know, that was caused by the inefficiency of of translating, uh, you know, transaction records in whatever form from our ERP systems, you know, between different parties, if I can reduce the friction of that and and increase in, you know, business efficiency and make more money in every country, then the the, the country governments will be. A little bit more open to it i mean they don't highly regulate what's there now i mean there's some regulation but they'll they'll find that when private industry starts to do this it it will you know create i think uh you know more robust uh more profitable businesses i think uh in addition to um uh just the transparency i think the the innovation the ability to you know innovate on top of that uh, will generate more more opportunity, more wealth, and therefore, you know, I, I think nations will start to to uh, appreciate it. I think some of the business of nations, things like customs that are important and hard to do now, will become easier, and it will become because of the the you know the indelible record. It will become enforcement will become easier. So I think over time it will be the private sector that leads, but I think that public sector, you know, that, that nations will start to see this as a more that, 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 you know, yes, any new technology comes with risk. Certainly there's a lot of expense and work, but I think as the private sector sees the business advantages of moving these things uh, together, you'll start to see uh, 
nations uh, warming up to the idea. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that that's going to happen. That is the hope. Um, that is everyone's hope. Well, yeah. One thing I, I wanted to comment on, you, you mentioned uh, the, the intersection of artificial intelligence, or as we call cognitive computing, uh, to IoT and blockchain. I mean, one of the things that uh, uh, my colleague, uh, uh, Nico Lamy, who's at the Kino um, uh, uh, Trade Consortium that I mentioned in Finland, um, he has a great vision for how these things, you know, I remember a moment when he was talking to me about this, but when you start to have the, the transparency and uh, business automation that blockchain and, and IoT give you, you start combining that with uh, artificial intelligence or cognitive computing and be able to start thinking about individual, let's say I have a freight shipment that's moving from Finland to Spain or Spain to Finland. Let's say it's some nice warm weather fruit. And you can imagine every shipment having sort of a, 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 an electronic twin in, in, in cyberspace that's represented on the, on the blockchain, being able to look at things like weather, look at social situations, look at uh, you know, port closures or backups or um, uh, uh, transport uh, availability or backups, et cetera, and be able to make real-time decisions based on you know, getting a, a shipment from point A to point B within constraints. Let's say it's temperature constrained and has a, a freshness amount but you want to do it to a minimum price rather than doing it now in some sort of, you know, a priori way where somebody tries to do a schedule, buys the shipment, you know, decides how to go from point A to point B to point C with carrier A, uh, custom agent B, et cetera. Being able to do that more adaptively based on the evolution, you know, the rapidly evolving world of, you know, real time systems, whether people, politics, uh, transport, et cetera. Being able to do that real time for each shipment, imagine the, the, the efficiency that you'd be able to get out of combining those, those technologies. Absolutely. And really, the underpinning of it all is the transparency that a technology like blockchain can actually give you. Now, I, I wanna be really careful. There are other technologies you could use for doing that, but it, when you have multiple parties that are trying to agree, you really need to have just some agreed upon common infrastructure. And right now, blockchain seems like a, a very good place to start. It might evolve. It might hopefully it'll get lighter weight, et cetera, as we evolve. But it's uh, it's we're, we're starting down a path that's going to be very very interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. The potential is huge. And while this uh, technology convergence, even if we talk just about blockchain and IoT, it offers a way of recording transactions or any digital interaction in a way that is designed to be secure, transparent, highly resistant to all kinds of outages. It is auditable, it is uh, accountable, and it's efficient and it's cost effective. It also gets the possibility of disrupting industries and enabling new businesses, governance, management, and technology models. While significant challenges still remain, we have to, you know, we are working on it, everyone is working on it. It is on its way to opening the path for so many exciting possibilities, as you, you know, just mentioned. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about the potential possibilities of innovation? Well, I think like anything, I, I mentioned that I've been doing this for a long time um, and, and, you know, gone through several variations on my thinking. I think, you know, I want a combination, you know, in, as I said in the beginning, people were very skeptical of, you know, how blockchain and enterprise of any form, much less IoT, belong together. Uh, now I think maybe we've got a little bit of irrational exuberance, is I think, uh, you know, a uh, grown-up term for it. You have to be really careful. These technologies are very complex. Um, there's a lot that we have to learn. They don't have magic powers. So I want people to be very open to these technologies, but I want us to proceed you know, cautiously at the same time. We want to be bold and cautious. Those are another two sets of concepts that don't necessarily exist. But I think the main thing to do is to start experimenting, to actually build systems, you know, that actually do stuff. And instead of talking, you know, actually try code and try stuff, figure out what scales, what's actually secure, and be prepared to change your mind a lot. I think that's the key thing is I think anybody who, uh, uh, you know, it's it's possible to hate blockchain too much or love it too much. So I would say, you know, 
learn, do it yourself, try it yourself, learn, do some experimentation, because I think that the actual, the way that this evolves is going to be very hard for anyone to predict, but I think that uh, there's no doubt that it's going to, you know, ch transform the world. There's also no doubt that there's going to be lots of, you know, dead ends, and I think the sooner we discover those and, and, and work around them, the better off. So be open-minded, but be cautious. Yes, absolutely. Te this technology and technology convergence has given everyone so much power and potential. Thank you, John, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on blockchain IoT convergence, and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from what you had to say today and the information you provided on the value of blockchain and IoT convergence that is being explored and analyzed to bring meaningful changes to the IoT ecosystem across NGIOA. So even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to innovate based on the blockchain IoT convergence discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. I really appreciate it, Chaishree. Thank you for reaching out. Wonderful, John. So the technological convergence is here. Blockchain presents many promises for the future of uh, Internet of Things, Internet of Everything. As, as nations move towards creating a system of Internet of Everything that benefits from the accelerating paradigm shift and convergence towards blockchain, there are still many more questions than answers. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for these very reasons to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace work together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.